support. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn to Mark chapter number 14. Mark chapter number 14. If you don't have a Bible and you didn't bring it with you, I'd encourage you to bring it with you and uh, get in the habit of marking in it, get in the habit of taking notes. Uh, the Lord can help you bring those back to your memory as you're reading through the Word of God. Mark chapter number 14 tonight. And uh, wonderful song service but I feel like we're fixing to take a hard left turn. And the uh, Lord's been dealing with my heart about a subject and a thought. And uh, it's, it's a subject that ought to make all of us uncomfortable. It's a subject of sin. We ought never get comfortable around sin. Sin ought never get comfortable in us. Mark chapter number 14 tonight. I didn't come to preach at you. I didn't come to preach this Wednesday night. You need to preach that to the crowd that ain't here. Kind of hard to preach to them because they ain't here. <laughs> but uh, that's what the Lord put on my heart. You got to preach both sides of it tonight. We're going to preach the glory. We're going to preach the, 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 the good stuff, what, what we'd call it, the shouting grounds. Hey, you got to preach the hard stuff too. That's how you're going to grow in your Christian life. You don't ever preach the hard stuff. How do you break up the fallow ground? And uh, I want to grow closer to the Lord. I want revival. I want revival, not just in the church, but I want revival in my life. We'll have to deal with the subject of sin tonight. And uh, just know I ain't preaching at you. <laughs> I'm preaching to you just like the Holy Spirit preached it to me. But Mark chapter number 14, verse number 32. Mark 14, verse number 32. And, uh, if it gets real bad, we'll just have Miss Ansley come back up here and sing again. And uh, we'll dream on. Well, the thing about it, what makes that dream so wonderful? There ain't no sin over there. Ain't no sin over there. Uh, let me get into it tonight before I get ahead of myself and behind myself and backwards. Uh, verse number 32, if you're there, say amen. The Bible said, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wits they what to answer. And he cometh a third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for tonight. And Lord, what a blessing it is, Lord, to live the Christian life. Lord, we've rejoiced in the song service. We've been reminded about a wonderful place that awaits every believer. And I thank you, Lord, tonight. It's not just something 
that we just kind of drew up ourselves and we kind of thought about and we, we, that's what makes it nice, Lord. It's outlined in your word. God, it's described in the book of Revelation. And Lord, it's a place that we long for. Lord, it's home. Uh, Lord, just like many times at the end of the day, Lord, we are ready to get home, ready to be around those that we love and those that love us. And Lord, that earthly feeling that we have down here pales in comparison to the heavenly feeling of what heaven's gonna be like. God, because there will be no more having to go back out, no more falling, no more faults. God, we'll spend eternity around your throne with those that we love, enjoying your grace and your glory for all eternity. But I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd help us, God, with open hearts, open minds, ready spirits, God, to take in what the word of God says tonight. Lord, that it'll help us live our everyday Christian life. And we thank you, Lord, that the word of God is true, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it discerns to our thoughts and the intents of our heart. We ask you, Lord, tonight that you'd allow it to do that exactly tonight. But we love you and we thank you. We'll give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Very familiar portion of scripture here in Mark chapter number 14 and it's recorded in the other gospels recorded in Luke, it's recorded in Matthew uh, that I know of for sure tonight. I'm not sure about John, I didn't check John. But we see here tonight that it's, it's, it's where Christ has left the last supper with his disciples and now he's headed in to Gethsemane, eventually to Calvary to die for our sins to be that sacrifice that, that we needed uh, for our sins to be paid for. But we know in, in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 down to 42, Christ is in the garden and he's praying. What is he praying about? Sin. He is about to become sin for us. He's about to take on the sin, not just for those that are in here tonight, but from, the, from Adam all the way to the last person that will ever live. He's about to die on a cross and he's about to shed his, give his life, shed his blood for me and you. But I want you to notice this tonight, long before the scourging, long before, or not necessarily long before, but before the scourging, before the crown of thorns, before the nails, before the spirit inside, Calvary was a bloody ordeal. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's amazing to me when Mel Gibson made that movie called The Passion of Christ, they gave it, an, I think it was an NC-17 rating, at least a rated R because there was so much bloodshed in it. Can I say tonight, we ought to never look at Calvary as a cute thing. Calvary as, a, as, a, as, a, as, as something that was easy and light. It was the most agony man's ever known and man has ever seen. There the just dying for the unjust. But I want you to notice that long before all those things took place, we find the willing sacrifice, Christ, willfully praying for our sins. And Luke tells us as he begins to pray, his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. Boy, it's a great reminder that even in the, before it all took place, when it, God was dealing with our sin, he couldn't but help his, his blood begin to shed. He knew the price that needed to be paid. Now, tonight I wanna ask you this question. We see Christ here praying for our sin. How do we pray for ours? How do I pray for my sin? Now, tonight I gotta make a clarification. We know as Bible believers, as born-again Christians, that Christ paid for every 
one of our sins, past, present, and future. There was a lady that went to her pastor and said, Pastor, I understand the, that Jesus died for my past sins. She said, but I can't comprehend him dying for my future sins. And as applied as he could, he said, man, may I remind you at one point in your life, at one point in history, all your sins were in the future. But we, we know tonight that Jesus paid for all of our sins. Jesus died for all of our sins. Colossians chapter two, verse 13 and 14, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. We know that Jesus paid for all of our sins. That's why we sing songs like there is a fountain filled with blood. That's why we sing songs that Jesus paid it all, that, that what, what, his blood washed me white. We know that tonight, that Jesus died for all of my sins. I know that I'll never answer in, in the realm of eternity, in the realm of the full spectrum tonight, I'll never stand before God and have to give an account for my sins because Christ paid for all them on the cross of Calvary. But let me ask you tonight, how many of us still deal with sin in our life? How many perfect church members do we have tonight? Silas said, oh no, not me. I'm right there with you, Silas. I don't know how you live. I don't know where you live all the time. But can I say, even as a pastor, even as a, a, a Bible college graduate, a father, Sunday school teacher, sin is still real in my life. I've sinned in my actions. I've sinned in my attitudes. I've sinned in my thoughts. I've sinned in my words. And let me ask you, how do we deal with that. We've been on this thought of prayer here on Wednesday nights. Let me ask you, how do you pray about your sin? Now we know our sin in, in whole is forgiven tonight, but we also know as, as believers, as saved individuals, that when you and I willfully choose to sin, to give into the flesh, we can't lose our salvation, but our fellowship with God is broken. And how do we pray when that happens? How, what is our attitude? What is our mindset? What is all of that tonight? Do we just, 1 John 1, 9, and go about our business and go about our way? Can I say tonight, 1 John 1, 9 isn't just something you say, it's something you practice. It is something that you put into action tonight. We'll get in that in a little bit. But how do I go about, when the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin in my life, how do I go about getting that fellowship right and restored? just like it is in every aspect of the Christian life. Our perfect example is not the preacher. It's not the disciples. It's not mama. It's not daddy. It is the Lord. And so if we're going to learn how to handle and pray about our sin, why don't we just watch the Lord as he prays for our sin and prays about our sin? Notice what he said in verse number 32. He told those disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. It starts off with y'all sit right here and watch me. Observe me. Let me be your example. And then he goes on to say right there, uh, later on down, he tells them, watch ye, verse number 38, and pray. Here's the thing, they missed the example. Why, wow, they was asleep. They was asleep. I believe tonight that me and you in 2022 can sit down here and watch the Lord pray about our sin as he became sin for us. And we can learn how to pray for our sin when we are desiring to get that fellowship restored back with God. 
I want you to notice three things, three observations. Every Christian can pray for their sins properly by watching the Savior pray for their sin. And I'll give you three observations you can make tonight. Notice number one, Christ's attitude towards sin. Christ's attitude towards sin. Nowadays, most Christians aren't bothered by sin because their attitude towards sin doesn't match the Savior. And can I say tonight, speaking from personal experience, it's real easy to get comfortable around sin. It's real easy to get comfortable around it. We excuse it in the movies we watch. Oh, the preacher wasn't that bad. It had a couple cuss words in it. Preacher, I mean, it, it wasn't that bad, but it had a couple pornographic scenes in it. It had things that I don't agree with and, and, and things that I know the Bible's against, but preacher, it wasn't, the, it had a good story behind it. I said, we get real comfortable around sin. We excuse in the music we listen to. We excuse it and we get comfortable. We're no longer bothered by it. People around us using it or doing it no more or participating in it no more. I remember I, I, even working in the cabinet shop, you know, it was, I, you were surrounded by it. You were all around it. I'm there just there trying to make a living for my family. But here's what I noticed. The more I was around it, the, it was the more comfortable, not that I, I, I came around it, but it, was, it didn't bother me as much. And I remember one point where I messed something up, I hit my finger or something, and the thought hadn't crossed my mind in a long time. But I thought, man, right now would be a really good time for a cuss word. Why? We become comfortable around it. Can I say tonight, what we see here in Mark chapter 14 is that when it came to dealing with sin personally, in dealing with sin on the level that Christ would, the attitude that he has is not one of comfort. Not one of, well, it's okay, it'll be all right. Notice this, when we become comfortable with sin around us, it's easy for sin to become comfortable within us. As Christ heads toward Gethsemane, his whole demeanor changes. His whole demeanor changes. You read about last, oh yes, there's the mention of betrayal, there's the mention of denying by Peter, but you also read about Last Supper, he's given them great truths. He's revealing unto them the promise of the resurrection. The Bible says that it was such a sweet place of fellowship and the environment was so right, the Bible said they sang a hymn. Could you imagine knowing that you're fixing to die in just a few days? <laughs> and you stop everybody to sing a hymn. But yet when he comes to Gethsemane, Gethsemane being a, a, a garden, but we know the word means oil press, and we see tonight as he approaches this, this thing of becoming sin for us, his demeanor changes. Notice not only is there a description of his demeanor. Look at verse number 33. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John. See, he took them up the mountain let them see the glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration. But now he's fixing to take them in the garden so they can see what sin's really about. Look at verse number 33. And he taketh with him Peter, James, and John and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. That phrase, sore amazed, or sorely amazed, means to be thoroughly alarmed, to be thoroughly amazed. He was seeing and feeling the weight of every sin from Adam to the last person to ever live. Imagine what that weight must have been like. We think about this, we're preaching, my sins really aren't that bad. Well, they are, but you multiply that by the billions upon billions of billions of people that have lived and walked planet earth and that have sinned. From the least to the greatest, every rapist, every murder, every lie, every disobedient child, all of that tonight, sin is sin tonight. 
and God, the Lord, is becoming sin for us to die on the cross. What a great weight that must, it's incomprehensible. How do you know, preacher? Because I can't even pay for my own sin. I, I don't have enough good deeds of my own self to pay for my own sin. And there is Christ becoming sin for us. He's sorely amazed. He's thoroughly alarmed. Let me ask you tonight, the fact that you've been dabbling and playing around and, and getting close to sin, does it even alarm you? Does it even change your demeanor? Notice he was sorely amazed. The Bible said he was very heavy. To be very heavy, troubled, distressed, and depressed are synonyms of that phrase right there. Let me ask you this tonight. I had to ask myself this. Does my sin bother me as much as it bothered the Lord? His whole demeanor changed. Does my sin bother me as much as it bothered the Lord. Here's the thing. We're the ones that committed it. And we're the ones that committed tonight. Christ doesn't. And here's another thing. Christ knew because Christ is sovereign. He's God. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the, the last. He's the first and the last tonight. We know that tonight. And so he knew that he was going to pay for sin. He knew that the Father was going to complete his plan and salvation was going to be brought to man. He knows that tonight, and yet sin is such a real thing, and it's such a, it's such a discouraging thing and a heavy thing. It changes his demeanor. Sin should never produce arrogance, but rather brokenness. We're living in a day and age, and I don't know what's all the cause behind it, where Christians have become more comfortable waving the sins around that they're participating in and saying things like, it don't convict me no more. Can I say tonight, sin hasn't changed. The outline and the definition hasn't changed. I understand we're living in a, in a day in a, in a world where, where their truth is always changing, but as a Christian, our truth doesn't change. And if God said it's sin, it's still sin tonight. We ought not to walk around arrogant. Look what I can do. Look what I'm doing. Defaming God. I don't know about you, but sin always and should always produce brokenness in our life. Why? Because sin brought into the life of Christ here in verse 33. The Bible said it began to be very heavy. It changed his demeanor. There was the description of sin in the weight of it. But verse 34, Christ, make a de Christ makes a declaration. Look at verse number 34. And he saith unto them, my soul is exceedingly or exceeding sorrowful unto death. My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Let me put that in good helpful language. It's such a heavy way, it feels like it's fixing to kill me. That's how heavy the burden was. That's how great the distress was and the depression that sin brought in. Our sin doesn't annoy the Lord. It doesn't perturb the Lord. It doesn't bother the Lord. Notice what he said. It made him sorrowful unto death. That's a great statement. When has your sin caused you that much grief and that much sorrow? Where you've come to the place in your life where you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've got to deal with this because if I don't, I feel like I'm fixing to die. we see Christ's attitude towards sin. 
When we pray about our sin, does our attitude match? Or do we just give them a one-liner, Lord, forgive me of all my sins? I don't know how the Holy Spirit deals with you, but it deals with me on a personal level. He deals with me on individual sins, individual actions, thoughts, words, ideas, attitudes. He tells me that ain't right. That ain't right. Can I say tonight, whether it's big or small in the eyes of the world, if it's a sin, it ought to break my heart. It ought to produce the same kind of brokenness in my life that it produced in God's life and in his son. Let me ask you, do you struggle to pray about your sin because you don't have the same attitude about sin as Christ does. We see, number one, Christ's attitude towards sin. Notice, number two, Christ's acceptance here. He became sin for us. Now, there's a rule when it comes to studying in, in, in your Bible and doctrine and all of that that you need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. In essence, what you read, you can't just pick one verse out of the whole Bible and, and build a doctrine off of it and build a truth off of it, you've got to take it in its context, and then you've also got to run it against the rest of the word of God. Because if you don't do that, you'll find yourself believing stuff that ain't right. Ain't rightly defined. Might sound good. <laughs> but it ain't right. Can I say that health and wealth prosperity sort of sound good, doesn't it? Give me $1,000 and God will give you 10000 Give me a chapter and verse on that. You know why Job had so many problems? Because Job didn't have enough faith. That's hogwash. The Bible said there wasn't a man in Job's day that compared to a man like Job. He was upright in all his ways. But tonight, you got to interpret Scripture with Scripture. I don't know where that came from. But notice verse number 35. And he went forward a little and fell on his ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Some have taken that verse and pulled it right there out of context and not lined it up with the rest of the word of God. I think verse number 39 says he prayed the same prayer again. And some have taken that and said, see right there, Christ really didn't want to die for us. That, that he... He wanted to do things his own way. He wanted to do things how he wanted to do that. He really didn't want to do this thing called dying on the cross of Calvary. <laughs> but you have to realize you take that verse right there and apply it to the rest of the word of God. We know Christ was a willing sacrifice. Matter of fact, the Bible says he's such a willing sacrifice before the foundations of the world, he was the lamb slain. That he was a willing sacrifice tonight. Matter of fact, you just gotta go back to the Last Supper. He tells them there in verse, let me see, verse, I got to write down here, verse number 24 of chapter number 16. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, verse number 27, and Jesus said to them, all you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Look at verse number 28. But after that I am risen, I'll go before you into Galilee. Jesus knew the beginning from the end. Hebrews said, Oh, how, how do you say it? Oh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the same. He knew how Calvary was going to play out. He knew there was a resurrection morning coming. And so we have to realize tonight, why would Christ pray that prayer? He's given us an example. 
He's given us an example. What is it, preacher? There's only one way to deal with sin. There's only one right way to deal with sin. He's giving us the example that me and you need to accept the fact if we're going to deal with sin, we have to deal with it God's way. Romans 6, 23, for the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We understand the wage of sin is death, and it's not just the physical death, it was that second death, the eternal separation from God at a place called hell, and eventually lake of fire. We understand that tonight, but thankfully God committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the wage for us on the cross of Calvary tonight. We praise the Lord for that. Galatians three thirteen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is every man that hangeth on. Aren't you glad tonight, 2,000 years ago, Jesus loved you enough that he died on the cross of Calvary. He dealt with sin in the only way that sin could be dealt with and paid for. But here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's showing me and you, how do we pray for our sin? How do we deal with our sin? like I said, me and you will not give an account for our sin. It's as far as the east is from west. But when this sin that I now live and the body that I now live, when, I, when my flesh swims and I don't yield to the spirit of God, how do I deal with that? God's way. God's way. If there is only one way to pay for sin, there must be only one way for a Christian to deal with sin. It is not ignoring it. It is not pretending that it never happened. It's not sweeping it under the rug and hoping nobody else sees it and nobody else does it. It's not fake non-conviction. That don't convict me no more. Then why you keep bringing it up? <laughs> I remember walking in sometime and visiting with family. <laughs> I walked on the front porch and this lady stopped me. Not, hey, how are you? Been a while since I seen you. She held out a cigarette and said, this don't convict me. Well, how are you? Nice to see you. This don't convict me. I said, you sound like somebody who's convicted. Just, just want to let you know. Well, how does, a sin, how, do, how does a Christian deal with sin? How do me and you get that fellowship restored with God? How do we pray? It's through confession and repentance. That's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in, if we confess our sins. In essence, we get honest with God and say, yes, I did do that. And I did it out of my own free will. I did it by my own choice. I did it because I thought it was good in the moment. Confession. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all right. He'll, he'll, he'll create us a new heart. He'll restore that to us tonight and that fellowship will be restored. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, Now I rejoice, not that we were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. Paul was talking about a letter he wrote to them. And he was hard on them. He was tough on them, but he was right. And it caused godly sorrow in their life that drove them to a place of repentance. They wanted to get that right. Preacher, how do I deal with sin when it's in my life? How do I pray, preacher, through confession and repentance? What is repentance? It is literally saying, I don't want to go that way no more. So I'm going to turn and go this way because there's nothing good that way. This is the way that God's going. I'm going to go that way. It's a military term. It's an about face. From what you're doing. Now tonight I will say there's a big difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow produces bitterness. Worldly sorrow sounds like this. I don't have what everybody else has. I'm not as good as such and such. I'm not as gifted as they are. And therefore I'm going to stand here and be mad about it. Godly sorrow produces brokenness. Well I'm sorry that I'd ever do something like that. I can't believe 
I stoop that low. And it produces a willingness to get those things right in our, law, in our life. If Christ would have dealt with our sin in any other way, it wouldn't have worked. If we try to deal with our sin in any other way than what God has designed us to do, it will not work. We see Christ accept. Let me ask you now, are you willing to accept the fact that you need to deal with your sin God's way? Not because it's convenient, not because it's just what the preacher says, but because it's the only way that works. Confession and repentance. We see Christ's attitude. We see his acceptance. But notice number three tonight, we see Christ's admission or admonition. Look at verse number 37. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Could this, couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. We often think about praying concerning our sin in the retroactive or after it's occurred. And no doubt, the majority of the service tonight, that's what we dealt with. How do I get that which is right that and, and, and that which I've made wrong? How do I get that to where it's supposed to be with God? But notice here in verse 37 and verse number 38, Jesus commands them and instructs Peter to pray about his sin proactively. Pray about those environments and those conditions he's going to be in. Now we know that the Lord said that Simon was going to deny the Lord. That he was going to deny him three times and the, 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 the chicken would crow. That's all I can think of. Uh, it's not the chicken. Uh, the rooster, something like that. One of them South Carolina animals. But notice here, he, 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 in essence, praying before the situation arises concerning our sin. Notice the two commands given here in verse number 38. He says, watch ye, be observant, be mindful, be careful, be cautious, give strict attention to, be careful where you go, be careful with, with who you let in. See, here's the thing. The Lord is encouraging him, verse, hey, Peter, watch with me and pray. Watch with me, pray, verse number 39, what, what happens? And again, he went and prayed and spake the same word. And when he returned, he found them asleep. He found them asleep. And Peter wakes up, and now there's an armed guard coming towards the Lord. And there's that man that, what does Peter do? He cuts his ear off. Why? Peter ain't been watching and praying. Peter's been asleep. And so Peter acts out of the flesh. He acts out of reactionary, and he cuts the man's ear off. But here, Christ, we ought to follow the command to watch. To watch. We don't have to walk through this world blindly. The Holy Spirit gives us this thing called discernment. You ever, you ever had a situation come up, an issue come up, and you just don't have peace about it? And you'll say, I, don't, I just don't know what it is. About it. I just don't have peace about it. Yeah, then don't act on it. It's probably the Holy Spirit saying, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. He's watching out for us. We have to be mindful. We have to be careful where you go and be careful what you let in. He said, watch ye, in verse number 38. And then he said, pray. Rely on the Lord for help. Ask for help in discernment. Lord, there's a lot of sin I could find myself in today. 
Would you please keep me from it? Brian Cannon sent me a text message today out of Psalms 119, verse 35, I believe it was. He went on along the lines of saying this. He said, if we ask the Lord to guide us and, and to protect us, he's going to do that. He's going to keep us from those things. But the rest of the verse says, and let me delight in thy ways. And he, he asked the question right there at the end of it. It's one of those like, man, that's, that's, a, that's a hard question. The question went along these lines. Are we okay? Are we okay when the Lord directs our path if we don't get to give in to our flesh at all? Because if you're like me, man, my flesh is constantly battling with me. But notice here he said, watch ye, pray. Lord, there's a lot of sin I can find. My, please keep me from it. Lord, convict me when I'm about to step over that line. Lord, don't let me go into that, Lord. I understand on the other side of it, there's repentance and confession. But Lord, if I, ha if I can miss it all together, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Lord, help me to be faithful to the good that you've called me to do. And notice verse number 38, there's a true conflict. Preacher, why do we struggle with it? Because one thing's ready and one thing's weak. Look at verse number 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready. Who, who abides in our spirit? God abides in our spirit. It's where God abides. It's where God lives. Our spirit is where the spirit of God always dwells, and the spirit of God never goes towards sin. The spirit of God is always ready to do what needs to be done. The spirit of God doesn't have any questions or concerns. The spirit of God knows what is right and guides us into all truth. But our flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh is like me walking through a grocery store while I'm hungry. Things I haven't thought about in 20 years all of a sudden look good. <laughs> right? I, I'll go in there with a list, know what I'm supposed to get, know what I'm supposed to stay away from. Well, my, my, my stomach gets to growling, gets to talking to me. You need them zebra cakes. You need them oatmeal cream pies. You need all that. You're starving hungry. Well, good and well, that none of us know what real starvation probably is about in the long term. But notice here, the spirit's always ready, but our flesh is always weak. We don't sin because of our spirit. We sin because of our flesh. But our flesh can be dealt with. Just like, I, <laughs> I don't know how you... I don't know if that's how you walk down the grocery store. I have arguments with myself. <laughs> I need that. No, you don't. <laughs> I need that. No, 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 you don't. There's nothing good there besides the flavor and everything in the cream in the middle. It's all good. No, you don't need that. There's nothing real in that. It's more going to do more damage than it is good. Now, I have to ask myself, which one am I going to yield to? Which one am I going to give in? The same is true in the Christian life. Your flesh will always make sin sound good. It'll always make it feel appealing and draw you toward, that's, that's your flesh is naturally gonna go that way, but yet the word of God tells us that we ought to and we need to deal with our flesh, Romans 3, 14, 13, 14, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Your flesh will say, it's all right to go there. It's all right to say that. It's all right to think that. And, but if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ, let this mind be in me, which is in Christ Jesus, he'll say, that ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. Stay away from it. Don't go nowhere near it. That ain't right. That's going to say who we're going to listen to. Galatians 5, 16 and 17, this I say, walk in the spirit 
and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What? That's amazing. But it's so simple. Just walk in the spirit. Just walk where you're supposed to walk. And you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. You'll stay out of a lot of things you don't need to be in. Our prayer every day ought to be, Lord, help me to walk in the spirit because if I walk in the flesh, I'm not walking towards you or after you or the things that you want me to have. I'm walking after sin. Lord, help me to walk in the spirit. Help me to walk in the spirit that I might walk towards the things of God. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another that you cannot do the things that you would. It's a tough battle. I wish that I could say, oh, it's so easy. It's so easy to walk in the spirit. It's so easy to be a spirit-filled Christian. It's easy to, to tell your flesh, quit that, stop that. And it listens to you. I feel like sometimes I gotta slap my flesh all day long. And I've done it all day long. And then it waits right until I go to bed. Oh, I'm still here. How do we deal with our sin? How do we deal with our sin? We, we, we understand how we do it after it's committed. Confession, repentance. But I'm also glad. Now, listen, I'm not preaching sinless perfection tonight. That's, that's dreamland. Let me dream on. But while we're down here, the beauty of being a Christian is because of the grace of God and because of the fact that God now dwells inside of us. We can sin less if we yield to him. Consistently and constantly yield to him. It's going to be an every day, every minute, every second of your life battle. And when we do fail, confess and repent. Get that fellowship restored. But walk in the spirit. Watch and pray. Not just for the after effects, but prior to tonight. How often do your prayer requests ask the Lord and ask for the Lord's help against your flesh? We pray for medical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. We pray for financial needs. There's nothing wrong with that. We pray for physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that. But how often do we get up in the morning and say, Lord, I hate my flesh. And I don't want to walk that way today. Lord, would you help me to walk in the spirit? If we get up every day and every moment of our life when our flesh rears its ugly head and we mortify our members and we bring it under subjection to Christ, there is good news tonight that you don't have to go off into sin. You can walk after the spirit tonight. How do we pray about our spirit? Or how do we pray about our sin tonight? We ought to pray about it just like the Lord taught us to and showed us tonight.